This is Sermonsmith, a bi-weekly conversation about the craft of sermon preparation. My name is John Chandler. Had a little bit of an unplanned break, but I'm glad to be back. We have S-foils locked in attack position. That makes me feel so good to say that. Uh, I'm going to jump right into it since we did have a break. My guest today is Adam Avery. Adam is the pastor of the Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. Adam is also a songwriter, and as I often like to do, I like to get people who come from different disciplines and see how they mingle those in with their sermon prep. So Adam gets a chance to talk about that a little bit, as well as just the hard culture that Burlington is as far as church planning goes and what it means to preach in a context like that. So, enough about that. Why don't we just hear from Adam himself? Here we are with Adam Avery. All right, well, I am with Adam Avery in Burlington, Vermont. Yeah? Yes, that's right. Yeah. So, uh, Adam and I have known each other for a couple years, so I always enjoy doing interviews with people that uh, I've got some sense of relationship, but we don't know each other that well, so I'm looking forward to hearing a little bit more, especially about Adam's process. I'll say this up front because it might come into play later, but Adam, I know you're also a songwriter, so you don't have to answer this now, but no, it'll circle back because I'll be, and maybe it'll just come out, but I'll be interested to hear how songwriting uh, and sermon writing interplay with each other. Sure. Yeah, we'll get to that. So, but first, let's, why don't you tell us about uh, the Church at the Well? Tell us about where you do the sermons you do. Sure. So Church at the Well is a result of a church merger that happened three years ago, three and a half years ago now, um, between a non-denominational church and an American Baptist church. And so I've been here in Burlington for eight years, and the, the other church was here for 10 years, 10 years now. Um, so yeah, we merged three years ago, and so we've been kind of having a co-pastor model, so the pulpit's shared a lot. Um, I get a I, right now, I do about 30 to 35 Sundays a week, and my co-pastor, Kevin, gets about a dozen, and then we split up the rest accordingly to people in the congregation, uh, another staff pastor, Ian Bailey. So yeah, we kind of share the pulpit. Okay. And then, uh, and you work full-time for the church, at least in this season. I know you guys have switched that around sometimes. Yes, that's right. The first year and a half of the merger, uh, Kevin was full-time, I was part-time. In the last two years, I've been full-time and Kevin has been part-time. And when you say it was a merger, does that mean the church is now a non-denominational church or is it an American Baptist church? It's a non-denominational church, yes. Okay. And what kind of background did you come out of? Or which side, <laughs> which church did you I was you the non-denominational pastor. Okay. And Kevin was the American Baptist pastor. And really, just in our context of where we are, non-denominational works uh, much better than uh, Baptist does. Uh, we're in the Northeast, and so there's a lot of, uh, let's say, cynicism toward institutional church, especially anything that's associated with like a Southern Baptist. Even though American Baptist isn't Southern Baptist, there's still kind of word association there. Yeah. So, yeah, um, we're, we're non-denominational. So talk about uh, Burlington. So Burlington. It, I know it's a challenging place, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a great place, though. It, there's only 600,000 people that live in the state, and a third of those people live in the Burlington area. The average age is 29. Uh, it's really highly educated. I think it's one of the most educated cities per capita east of the Mississippi. Of course, it's small. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a great town. It's beautiful, aesthetically, lakes, mountains, clean air. 
just just a great place to live. Yeah, culture is culture is very open, very friendly, very service serving oriented. Yeah, it's it's really unique. And you you talked about the cynicism. What what's the where's that stem from? Um, you know what I think. So our the mission and vision of our church is reintroducing Jesus, and so we kind of are of the the mindset here that the reason uh, churches don't do well here in Vermont. Uh, it's 97% unchurched, one of the least religious cities in America, Burlington, Vermont. But we believe that the reason that is, is because people don't have a very accurate presentation of Jesus. And whether that's because of the high education level they have or whatnot, there just seems it, New England's very town hall. It's very democratic. It's very, um, let's sit, talk, dialogue, discuss, and then we'll come to a conclusion. And so, I, I use the word cynicism. I don't mean it in a bad way because there's actually some positives from that. Like when people, when people investigate and think things through, when they come to the conclusion, it's sound, it's solid, they're sold. So it can actually yeah. be like a really a, a, attractive. Uh, and would you say uh, my impression of the Northeast is most of the people there uh, have very little, if any, church background, or maybe just mass a few times. Is that yeah, accurate, that's, of that's Burlington? Per, that's pretty accurate, yeah. Like they didn't even grow up with it. No, no, it, yeah. it's a foreign concept to, to many. Yeah, so it's that, I imagine that gets pretty challenging even. It, I mean, it's a, it's a tricky thing to uh, address in sermons because you've got to just wipe away all of your assumptions, presumptions that you might have carried with you for most of your life when you're trying to talk to people. Yeah, it's challenging in some levels because you can't assume that they know any Bible stories or characters. And so you can't make references to um, certain things that you would might take for granted that they know. It's also really refreshing in the sense that there's not a lot to unlearn <laughs> um, as far as um, bad theology or or different different um maybe misinterpretations of scripture sure. because they're coming in with a clean slate but but you do have to be really intentional about explaining everything really well so what would you say the role of the sermon is in the life of church at the well yeah so in our church context uh, our sermons are usually about 30 minutes long. We we talk about them as conversation starters. Again, at New England's very town hall. It's very uh, process-oriented. Yeah. So our sermons, we try to approach it that way, that, hey, we're going to submit this to you. Let's talk about it, think it through, process it. Um, so it plays a role kind of introducing introducing. Uh, scriptural teaching in a way that we don't have breakout sessions or, or groups during the service that break off and discuss it, but we do have small groups and lots of interaction between folks um, through the week. And that, um, I mean, do you even intend, well, we'll get into that a little bit later. What, I, I'm just curious how that even affects how you put, you know, your sermon together, but we'll circle back to that. So, um, Okay. And then I, I'm sitting here, I'm looking at the church website right now, and it looks like you have kind of a mixture between doing some series that are based on kind of an exegetical approach through a text and then sometimes that are more topical oriented. So how, what's it look like for your process of planning out sermons? Sure. So we, we usually try to plan out a year ahead, but it, uh, we'll make a list of different series 
that we want to kind of get through. And all of those on the list usually don't make it in the year, but at least we have that list we're working from. The first three months of every year, we take and just do a gospel. And we take about three months to three and a half months just going through one of the four gospels. And we rotate that through every four years with the four gospels. We do that just because our mission is reintroducing Jesus. And we thought, well, this is a great way to to start the year. And a lot of times we do, yeah, we do do like a topical series or we'll do an exegetical series or we mix it up with like a vision casting piece. Um, so, yeah, we try, to, we try to rotate through using those kind of three pieces. Is the, is the goal with those gospels ultimately that you really end with uh, crucifixion and resurrection? Like you start yeah. so beginning we of the year start, and always end at Easter? You no, know, sometimes we start in, with, with Christmas. Yeah, sure. Okay. That narrative. And then sometimes we wrap up with Easter. So yeah, we kind of rotate back and forth there. It's almost your little non-denominational modified liturgical calendar. It sounds <laughs> That's like. exactly what it is. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's liturgical calendar without any of the baggage that people might have or skepticism people might have about church. Yeah. So we're going Same through that calendar without them knowing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I mean, man, this is ambitious because I'm looking at this and I'm seeing... Uh, like a whole chapter of John per week. Yeah. That's some tough preaching right yeah, there, so, especially so John. We say exegetical, but really <laughs> it, it's not in the sense that you're, you're, you, you can't cover verse by verse, uh, line by line for a whole chapter in a week. Yeah. And so we just do our best to kind of like hit on little pieces that are, that we want to kind of highlight. And so once you get that, I mean, you obviously know every year you're going to have this chunk at the beginning of the year, and then you're filling in the rest. Mm -hmm. How does the scheduling of who's going to preach when work? So Kevin's been doing the scheduling, and and really we just work around our personal schedule. So, again, I, I like try to speak 30 to 35 Sundays a week. Kevin takes a dozen, like once a month, and then Ian and Abby and other folks in the congregation or a guest speaker will kind of fill in the rest of the spots. And we just kind of do two months out on scheduling using Planning Center. Oh, yeah. Gotcha. And so it, for the most part, it, it's uh, whoever's up just takes their turn in the series. It's not like somebody specializes in a particular series or anything like that. It's just different voices. There's been there's been a few times when, when one of us will say, man, I, I really think that that this person should kind of introduce this series. But yeah, for the most part, we're all kind of carrying that and walking through it together. We have, we meet once a week as a teaching team, there's four of us. And so we kind of build the, the whole concept of the series. And then weekly, we send each other sermon notes and uh, are getting feedback and ideas for building the sermon. So even though one might be giving the sermon, the other three are pretty involved throughout the week. And so who's on that teaching team? So the teaching team is myself, Kevin Fitton, Abigail Carroll, and Ian Bailey. And so I know the, I know, um, the three gentlemen you just named. Yep. Um, but Abby, you said? Yeah, so Abby's part of our core team. Okay. Um, and she's a professional writer. And uh, she's just been involved in the church from the get-go. Just a wonderful, wonderful lady and an excellent uh, Bible teacher. Great. Okay. So she's, she's got input. The four of you, it sounds like all have input in the sermon pretty much every week, every week, regardless of who's preaching. Well, let's talk about that. Why don't you take us through and we can focus on if it were going to be a sermon that you were doing. Okay. Um, but why don't you just walk us through a timeline for you of putting a sermon together from, you know, from the time that you know, the text and 
the date you're going to be preaching on up until Sunday morning or afternoon? Sure. So sometimes we lay out the text as we lay out the series. Other times the series is more open. Um, and so, for, for instance, every Tuesday morning, we have our staff meeting and our teaching team meeting, and we kind of do a quick debrief of the previous Sunday. We talk about uh, kind of what we're going to be covering next Sunday as far as teaching goes. And so it's Tuesday afternoon, usually, when I am taking maybe about an hour to just process and think through what I want to communicate that Sunday. I already have an idea of the passage or the topic, but I try to like strip it down into one or two sentences. <laughs> Otherwise I find that the sermon prep, um, isn't super refined. Hmm. I'm not writing to the hook, so to speak. Yeah. And so Tuesday afternoon, after our teaching team meeting, I try to just kind of think about how that would be communicated and what I really want, want to uh, communicate and what I want to highlight from the passage or kind of tie back into the series. Wednesday, I usually take about an hour to an hour and a half and write the introduction. Hmm. Um, I just I just feel like first. that. First. I, I do that first because I, I, I've come to learn that, for me anyway, the introduction is the most important part of the sermon because no matter how good the meat and the closing is, here uh, in the Northeast, especially in Vermont, if, if you don't engage people straight away, they're not going to hear the content and the closing. And so the introduction is, is pretty important to me. And so that's all I do on Wednesday. Just take an hour to an hour and a half and just write out that introduction and feel really good about it. It also helps me too, because in the introduction, I'm usually kind of laying out what, uh, what the hook of the sermon is. And so I, I get to crock pot that for a day before I write it. And so all Thursday. Right, so, well, all right. So before we move on, talk about that a little bit more. Like what, when you describe your hook of the sermon or when you talk about how important the introduction is, what are you really hoping to accomplish in that introduction? Sure. So, so you were talking about songwriting earlier and kind of how I approach that and sermon writing. I knew it'd come up. <laughs> so the, the piece about songwriting is if you don't have a hook, you don't have a song. So there has to be something that is central that everything writes, everything is written around that hook. And so for me personally, when I'm writing my introduction, I already have the hook in mind from the previous day. And it's just kind of like simmering in, in the crock pot of my, my soul and my heart and my brain. And when I write the introduction, I'm trying to engage people so I can get to that hook. And so when we do get to the hook, uh, just like songwriting, when you hear the hook of the song, you're like, oh, that's the payoff. That's it. That's what all this was leading to. Um, I try to write my introduction uh, to do the same thing so that when when we do get to that hook of the sermon, that folks are like, oh, yeah, now I now I see all this is going toward that. And it, and I mean, what methods, what tools are you using? Are you using foreshadowing towards getting to the hook, creating attention? Like what's because I assume ones. you're not just outright stating the hook up front. No, no, never, never. Yeah. Uh, different ones. And, and, it, and that's, again, with songwriting, like sometimes it's tension, sometimes it's foreshadowing, sometimes it's, it's little clues here and there. Sometimes it's something funny, lighthearted, a story, something that, that kind of pulls the listener in. Maybe it's, maybe it's a, a melody or a cadence and it pulls the listener in. And then, and then when it comes to the hook, it's like, oh yeah, this, this is, this is what I was waiting, waiting for. The light bulbs ding 
I don't know if light bulbs ding. That's a really mixed metaphor right there. Mm. Uh, um, is it safe to say that when you describe the hook, it's like a right-brained, I might have my brain hemispheres wrong here, but it's a right-brained way of saying uh, the thesis statement? Yeah, that's exactly it. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so ultimately out of, I mean, the first thing you're doing on Tuesday is you're coming up with your thesis, which is basically what you said. You've got the hook. Mm-hmm. You come into Wednesday and you're writing that introduction to kind of just set the table. Yes. Okay. Yep. And then, and then you're moving on to Thursday when I interrupted. So go right. Yeah. Ahead. And so Thursday is just when I, when I sit down and write it out. And so my whole day Thursday outside of a couple small tasks is just writing the sermon. I try to really just kind of like keep that open that day open for writing the sermon. And I usually do it in two sections. You know, I'll do like a, I'll, uh, my sermons are typically three pages long. And usually the first three quarters of a page will be like introduction, background, and the last two and a quarter pages would be the sermon. And so I usually take a chunk of time Thursday morning, sit down and, and, and uh, take uh, the commentary material I've read, notes that I've taken, thoughts that I've had, and just kind of try to organize those and just write the sermon out through. And is this... Um... Are you handwriting this or is this on a computer screen? No, I just do it on my laptop. And I, and I yes. find that in the middle of the day, I just have to take a break and go to the gym and like sweat because sitting in a chair for all day Thursday, I kind of lose uh, any sense of creativity or yeah. focus. So I, I always break it up in, into two sections. I'll do, the, I'll do a morning writing session, take an hour, hour and a half and go sweat and then come back and do uh, finish it up in the afternoon. How often does do you have an epiphany an epiphanatic moment? I just created a word right there when you're at the gym. No, I try to completely unplug from it. I'll listen you to don't a even think about it. podcast, or I'll, I don't <laughs> even think about it. I I, I don't want to think about it. I want to come back fresh, and oftentimes I do. I come back fresh, and I'm like, man, what I wrote was terrible. Like, there's no congruency of thought. It's just it's not connecting, and so I need that space to kind of come back to it fresh. And the goal is to always be done by four o'clock on Thursday so I can send uh, my first draft to our teaching team members for review. That totally surprises me because I know that so much, uh, you know, people talk about how they get these eureka moments when they're out for a walk or they're in the shower. You know, there's even a science behind that. I don't remember what it's called, but. Uh, so I would have expected that you would say, yeah, when I'm at the gym, these pieces fall into place, but you're trying to not even think about it. Absolutely. I I, I don't think about the Bengals. I am. I'm thinking about fantasy football. I'm thinking about the Bengals. I'm thinking about what, you know, what else I'm going to do this week. I, I just find for me personally that I have to take a break from it so that I can go back to it and I just have a fresh perspective. Because there's been times when I have pushed through and not had that break. And then Friday rolls around and I'm looking at my sermon saying, this is, this is awful. This, this isn't connecting. It doesn't make sense. The transitions are terrible. Um, this piece that I put in, I shouldn't have I shouldn't have put in. Um, and so I just find that it just, for, for me and my rhythm, it, it yeah. works really well. Yeah. Uh, that's the fun thing about this podcast is there's a whole lot of things that are predictable. And then there's always little surprises and everybody's mm-hmm. little process that, um, that aren't predictable. So let me backtrack then. Cause I, you've sent it off to the teaching team and I'm going to circle back to that, but I want to, I want to fill in some gaps here. So Tuesday morning when the teaching team meets, what mm-hmm. do you walk away with? 
Like how much input is everybody giving? Do you have a couple pages of notes just from people kicking around ideas? We're usually talking for about an hour at our meeting and we're talking, we're, ta- we're debriefing. Like what did you sense God was doing at our gathering on Sunday? Was there anything from this series that kind of stuck out or resonated last week that we need to tie into and maybe kind of reevaluate what we were planning on teaching from this week because again sometimes every week in the series it's all planned out what passage we're going to teach what the hook is then other times it's just kind of um it's just kind of vague yeah and so we're we're talking about kind of what we sensed the the last week and then what we feel god wants to uh, communicate this week Gotcha. And so you don't, you're not you're just coming out out of there still with some big, broad concepts. It's not like everybody's giving you here's a story you could use. Here's we some do, of my own. We do notes. some of that, too, because some of it is laid out already. And so some folks will be like, well, here's an interesting passage you could tie in. Here's a here's a, a story. Here's a video clip. Here's a song. And so we, we do do a lot of that as well. But most of that happens through the week, actually, as as we kind of are sharing notes. Gotcha. And then you mm-hmm. talked about you talked about on Thursday when you're sitting down reviewing some of your commentary notes and all that. When when does that like study of the text happen in the process? And what are some of your what are some of your go tos for that? Is it mostly commentaries or word studies or it, it's all commentary for me? Um, yeah, I, and I don't usually spend anything more than an hour yeah. reading them because there's just there's so much. And it, and here's what I find that when I spend too much time in them, it becomes like a Bible college class. And it doesn't it doesn't feel like a sermon anymore Um, because I think one of the the tricks for me is um, getting rid of things that I've studied and read and learn that are good things, but they don't add they kind of detract. And so I try not to spend, you know, more than an hour reading commentary. Yeah. And are you a Bible software guy or you have a bookshelves full of them? No, I've tried Bible software and I'm. I'm I'm somewhat tech savvy, but it just doesn't has the have the same appeal to me as the books. Maybe because that's what I started with, and there's kind of a nostalgia. I'm not sure why. <laughs> Fair enough. Who are you people who don't like to cart around entire libraries in your pocket? I don't understand you, but if it works for you, it works, and that's fantastic. All right, so it, it does feel strange because I do a lot, most of my sermon prep I do at coffee shops because I don't have yeah. an office, and so I'm always lugging around these, you know enormous commentaries and there's yeah it's a little bit odd and awkward i mean you're certainly not the only one if anything i've been surprised by it's how many people you know just swear by their big long bookshelves so and there there is a romantic quality to it i'll give you that i mean it's it's still kind of fun to open it up and underline and scrawl and all that so um all right so we get you get to thursday you've got three pages now you've got your hook you've got your introduction that's it sounds like your introduction might be the only part that's really written out with any kind of detail. Yep. Safe to say. Okay. And then you send it off to the teaching team. And then, so what happens between Thursday afternoon and Sunday? Yeah. So the teaching team will review that and then they'll respond with, um, Hey, this part wasn't clear. This could be sharpened up. I didn't know, uh, where you were going at this part, you could flip this around or, Hey, this needs to be said, or, Hey, you said something that I don't know is theologically accurate. So that's kind of what we use that time for. And the language that we use oftentimes during that two days is some language we stole from J.R. Briggs with the heady, hearty, handy, uh, 
words. And so sometimes, you know, the, the rep- response will be, hey, like, this is a really hearty message, uh, but you need, a, you need a stronger handy piece. And handy, of course, meaning application, hearty meaning kind of uh, motivational, in- inspiring, and heady meaning intellectual, like, what did you learn anything? And so we try to kind of utilize all three of those parts in the sermon. So a lot of our language uh, revolves around that when we're responding to each other's sermon notes. How do you decide what feedback to take and what feedback not to take? Um, you know what? It's it's it it's interesting in the sense we've been doing this for a couple of years now, and at first we didn't give as much input to each other. Um, we give way more input to each other now, and I think that comes from comfortability, and it also comes from realizing that man, my sermons are stronger when I'm getting their input. Even yeah. though at first when I'm reading their input, sometimes I'm thinking, oh, no, that's not right. That's not right. Um, and it's not until later when you sit down and look at it and say, hmm, you know what? That is right. Maybe maybe I do need to change that piece to make to make the hook stronger. Or maybe I do need to uh, kind of move this piece over here and shorten my closing or, or uh, focus it. And so nine times out of 10, it's usually like spot on. And the one time it isn't, we talk about it. We say, Hey, I know that you, you know, had responded with, with this idea, but I really feel like I need to do this idea. Are you okay with that? So there's a, there's a sense of accountability in this too. Not just, um, not just crafting a better sermon, but accountability in the sense of, uh, do you guys feel good about this teaching and how it's going to be communicated and delivered? And then on on the flip side of that, then, how do you decide what feedback to give? I, I mean, I think that's one of the challenges. We work to kind of raise up preachers here. And yeah, I mean, I'm meeting tomorrow with a 21-year-old who's going to preach for us. He's preached a couple times already. And just know, like trying to determine how much to Mm-hmm. Pre- press him towards how I might do a sermon versus helping him find his own voice. So that's like what's at the back of my mind, even as I ask that question, like, how do you decide or or do you, or do you even filter it? Do you just feel like if you have an idea, you toss it their way and then it's up to them to decide what to do with it? Sometimes, sometimes it's just an idea that we're throwing up against the wall and Hey, here, here's a thought I had. See if, see, here, see, see what you think of this. And, and other times it's like, Oh, you know what? I really, um, feel pretty strongly that this piece needs to be like revisited because it's not really clear what you're trying to say. And so I think it varies. Uh, we just try to do a good job of communicating the level of uh, uh, seriousness and heaviness of our input, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's an, a, it's a really beautiful thing what you guys are doing. That's, I, you know what it's, and I, I'm just gonna, I'm, I don't, I usually try to focus on questions, but I'm gonna throw this in. I just finished reading Better, Stronger, Faster by Joshua Duhigg, which is a very recent book. Uh, I didn't love it, to be honest with you, but right in the middle, one of the things that stood out to me was he talked about the movie Frozen and how Frozen went through so many revisions because mm-hmm. 18 months before it was due to be released, it was a very, very different movie and they watched it and they just felt like this just isn't true. And then they just, that, so he unfolds all of the process of all of the different voices speaking into changing it and shaping it and figuring out how it was true and how this one person went from screenwriter to co-director and that didn't really change their role at all other than it just 
helped kickstart. So it, 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 it was by far the most inspiring part of the book, but it feels like it's a lot of resonance with what you are trying to do there, where you have these four different voices and, you know, two of them are writers. They probably understand the editing process all too well. <laughs> um, and one of them is a songwriter. Yeah. So I, I just love that you're bringing it, but that's why I'm, that's why I'm fascinated because for so many, the sermon is, and you're certainly not the only one who's brought this team idea, but for, for so many, the sermon is this individual process of what's the inspiration that's coming out with this. And it seems like you're trying to hold the, re or trying to hold the dissonance, maybe, uh, uh, yeah. thrown out song terms of multiple voices speaking into a primary voice, so to speak. Well, again, even going back into kind of the metaphor of songwriting, um, I used to write songs by myself and would not have the courage um, or the the security to, to let somebody kind of say, oh, have you considered doing this with it? Um, and I remember doing a co-write a, a while back, and I hated the process because you you fall in love with your baby when you sure. write a sermon or you write a book or you write a song and you submit it to someone for review um it's not easy because there's certain elements that you think oh this is so great this is so wonderful and then you get an outside perspective saying yeah i didn't get that it didn't do that for me and you're like it, it, you can take it personally but when i started co-writing music and songs with people my songs got so much better i remember one project that me and a co-writer were working on a christmas song for susan boyle a publisher was looking for a song for her a christmas song and so he invited us into the process and and we were so frustrated with him because we would write and then send it in and we must have did 20 revisions. He would always come back and say, nope, that lyric doesn't work. And that spot there, when you when you rise on that melody, it just doesn't hit. And we're like, what are you talking about? We would get mad and mad and mad. But by the time we were done after like the 20th revision, we're like, this song is so much better than when we when we started it. Um, and it didn't it didn't get picked. She didn't select the song, but we learned so much and I learned so much. And I kind of take that into sermon crafting a little bit that I know that sometimes when I read the the response and input from the folks on my teaching team, that's going to sting a little bit. But I know that nine times out of 10, uh, it's going to help me approach the sermon and especially the delivery of the sermon differently. And it's going to sure. help it. So, so right. it's a little bit painful, but helpful. It, it is, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a beautiful process. How does this affect um, evaluating the sermon? I mean, it sounds like that's part of what happens Tuesday morning as well. Uh, we, used, we used to really just spend a big chunk of time debriefing the sermon, um, but as as time went on, we 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 kind of as we got sharper, and we were doing more of that work during the week beforehand. Uh, we we feel like we don't have to spend as much time debriefing the, how the delivery of the sermon is much. We do still a little bit, but not to the extent that we used to. Um, now we're just kind of looking for the general sense and feel what was God doing in the room when, when you said that and when you shared this. Yeah. Sounds like there's just uh, several years of rapport uh, that have built up there that's really helpful too. Yeah, super helpful. Yeah. I mean, I think if somebody was wanting to start this, you know, tomorrow, that there's just it just takes a while to get this kind of groove that it sounds like you found. Yeah. And comfortability to learn like, okay, is this just a suggestion or is this something that you really feel strongly about when you're, when you're sending me input and how are you, how are you sharing that input? Is it with a humble posture? Like, does it require a phone call or can just an email do it? And so, yeah, it, it just takes some time building some yeah. chemistry. 
Uh, we'll talk about, uh, I'm going to go back to, you know, your specific process. Uh, p- particularly, I guess this would be Thursday in the process. You've got the intro and you know you've got a hook that you're working towards. But how does the how does your sermon get structured? Do you follow a set structure? Is there uh, any kind of pattern or is it just trying to figure out how all the pieces fit? Yeah, sometimes um, there's some structures that I've read about and learned about and implemented on some levels. I don't intentionally sit down with with and think through structure anymore. It just kind of happens because of I, I did spend years thinking about that. Um, I remember getting a hold of An- Andy Stanley's book, uh, Communicating for a Change, mm-hmm. and he and he talks in that book about the me we God you we model of a sermon that you, you, you start with me in a yeah. sense that, uh, just because we kind of live in a voyeuristic society, reality shows are the craze. And there's something about just starting with being vulnerable and showing people who you are, uh, then moving to, we, then moving to, to what does God say, uh, moving to, how does this, uh, impact you? And then what does this mean for us as a community and back to we, so me, we, God, you, we, that was really helpful about, um, I don't think it was probably five years ago. I got a hold of that, started thinking through that model and utilizing some of that. Um, also like the hook book, look, took model sure. where you start with a hook, go to the book, the, the scripture, um, look at that or kind of do the work to interpret that. And then took being the application piece. So we kind of have utilized some of those and, and, learned how to use some of those, but we don't really intentionally when we sit down to, to craft our sermons kind of uh, stick to that model. There's a little bit of fluidity. And so, I mean, it's, it might be in the back of your mind, but you're really just trying to pull the thoughts together. Yeah, that's right. Yep. You know, coherence. When, I mean, is there a set time when that hook comes out? I, I mean, is it, is the hook usually happen right towards the end? Does it usually happen right towards the middle and then you unfold it more or like, yeah, how, do, yeah. how do you drop that bomb? So to speak? I think most of the time it's, it's, um, toward the, toward the middle, maybe even more, a little bit closer to the beginning so that you can unpack it and, and keep writing back to it, keep referring back to it. Um, just making, making that the, the central primary focus throughout. But so, yeah, usually it's helpful to introduce it kind of, after you've done the inter- after I've done the introduction and kind of set it up and we might have read the passage and talked a little bit and um it, it very rarely comes at the end during the application piece try to sprinkle uh, it the middle beginning right yeah all right um thanks i i'm always fascinated by questions of structure so i'm curious uh even in songwriting do you find that there's a few different structures that you go back to yeah so um there, there's the commercial structure, um, which is kind of it's called A B A B, and and it's what you hear mostly on the radio. Um, interestingly enough, I'm writing a song right now with a with a friend of mine in Nashville, and we're writing a non-commercial structure, which is A A B A, and it's it, it's it's not something you hear on the radio, but we like it. So there, there's with songwriting, there's commercial structures that you have to stick to if you ever want um, to get a cut or to to have the song reach measure of success. But then there's all these other interesting structures that are super appealing and attractive, um, but they're not going to be commercially appealing, if that makes sense. There's a, there's a few outliers that are. Yeah. Uh, 
And so I, I kind of find the same thing with my sermon writing that there, there, I do have kind of a, kind of a go-to structure way that I do lay out my sermon. But once in a while, it's really nice just to do something different. To go non-commercial. Yeah. In that sense. Yeah. Hmm. All right. I was just curious because I was thinking about that. Uh, you know, obviously we talk about formula songs and I, I just figured that's, I wonder how similar that idea is. Uh, so you, you talked earlier about you invite other people into the, uh, from the congregation to preach sometimes. I assume this extends beyond the woman who's on the teaching team. What's it look like for some of those people to enter into this process? Like how much do you walk alongside them and do the same work with them? We don't do the same work with them. Um, we, 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 we've only had folks from the congregation preach a couple of times. And actually they, they were people who were, who pastored for, for years. Gotcha. And so they're kind of experienced and they've, they've, they've done it their own way. And so we just want to kind of give them room for that. We want to just kind of let them have their own voice. And they've been around long enough where they know kind of like the culture of preaching in our church and how we approach it. And so they do a pretty good job just kind of staying coloring within the lines a little bit instead, but being, being themselves. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so we, don't do, we don't do a lot. We do have them submit their notes to us so that, you know, we can be familiar with what's being said. We just think that's really important. Um, that what, what's communicated Sunday doesn't take any of us by surprise, uh, but, that, it's, but it's, it's not the same process. Right. Okay. I was curious. Um, uh, maybe that'll change now that you're one of your prominent teaching team members is going to be moving on. Are you going to yes, be thinking about well raising up other voices? It, it very well could. Um, yeah, we have, like I said, we have a couple of folks in our church who kind of gifted communicators and even a couple of pastors and preachers in our church, uh, who are retired. So yeah, it very well could. Yeah. Um, all right. I want to circle back to something I scrolled down a note about earlier, which I mean, you've addressed a little bit, but this whole idea of starting conversations, you know, the sermon, you know, helping kickstart a conversation, so to speak, because people want to do the work of talking through things rather than just have somebody talk to them. Mm -hmm. So what, to what degree, or what are some ways that you try to make sure that the, the sermon is a conversation starter rather than, you know, an authoritative proclamation, so to speak. Not that those are obviously opposite from each other, but you know what I'm saying here? I do. Yeah. So, I mean, we start that just by communicating and preaching it through series. Number one, um, my, the background for me, I grew up in like a charismatic non-denominational church. And so every week was a new sermon that I, I never even heard a sermon series before. Um, I went to Bible college. And so, uh, with series, uh, you, you're already communicating that, hey, this is going to be a several week conversation lengthy teaching time and process. We're going to we're going to dialogue and talk about uh, about this passage of scripture or this topic. And so that from the get go, uh, just preaching in within series hmm. kind of communicates that conversational piece. Um, some of it happens in small groups. We've only had like a couple small groups that actually discuss the sermon. But what happens is is folks who are part of the church and part of the community. When we're when we're knee deep in a series or waist deep in a series, lots of conversations just happen in that small group context. Where or on Sunday when Kevin said this, and so there's lots of referring back to and kind of unpacking together. And then honestly, it's a lot of just one on one hanging out together, having coffee, um, asking folks, "Hey, what's God speaking to you? What are you learning? 
What are you reading? And oftentimes when we're in series, that's what people are kind of reading. They're reading the passages that we're covering in the series or at least thinking. And uh, we, we really encourage that. Hmm. Okay. Um, it's, it's, I don't know that I've ever heard somebody put together, and it, it's not a leap at all, but I don't know that I've ever heard somebody put together the idea that doing a series is an ongoing conversation. I've always thought about and heard the series as this way we can build on the idea. But I like the idea that, you know, you frame it as within our congregation, we're going to start this conversation that's going to last three weeks or nine weeks or whatever it might be. That's a, that's a yeah. helpful thought for me. Well, Adam, um, as far as, you know, what's shaped you, I always like to ask about books. You said you've listened to the podcast a little, so you knew this one's coming. But what are some of your favorite resources? Maybe they're just go-to study resources, but maybe they're also just books that you feel like have really helped shape you as a preacher. I mean, you mentioned communicating for a change. I already scrolled that one down here. Yeah. There's, there's not a lot of books. Most of my shaping and has been from listening to other people preach, um, and different people. Yeah. I had somebody in the congregation ask me like, who do you listen to when you preach? And I, I gave him a list of like three or four people who I listen to and why I listen to them. Um, and they're all very unique and different. Uh, but th- what I try to do is when I'm hearing a sermon and I feel like the Holy Spirit really speaks through that sermon to me, I pay attention. Like, how did that happen? <laughs> what yeah. what tools and what posture did that that preacher or person have? What How did they communicate this that really resonated with me? And so I, I've I've... Most of my learning, I think, has just come from watching and listening and uh, paying attention hmm. when I hear people preach and how they're framing it, how they got to the hook, how their um, storytelling is effective, how it's not, and just listening to uh, different preachers. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Uh, so, so, for instance, like uh, I'll, sometimes I'll listen to Tim Keller because he's so intellectually stimulating and we live in a really educational kind of city. Um, sometimes I listen to T.D. Jakes, although uh, because he's stirring, you know, I, it, it's not a way that I'm going to preach on a Sunday morning. It's not Pentecostal. It's a very different context. But there's something about how he communicates. It's stirring. Sometimes I, I'm listening to uh, Erwin McManus or somebody who's kind of a, has a philosophical approach to the scriptures and really makes you think and, and settle with stuff. And so I, that's that's primarily where I learn. Yeah. And that makes, I mean, I think especially in this age of the, you know, the podcast where we have so much access to so many more sermons, that's probably been true for a lot of us. Mm. It's interesting. And I'd be curious how this has gone for you to determine when you hear, when you hear other preachers and there's some, you just feel like you resonate with their style so much because you know, it could match their style. Mm. And then there's some where you know that their style might be very different. Like you mentioned TD Jakes, but I, there's a, I don't even have a question here. <laughs> I'm just I'm just talking about it. I think from my own experience of, you know, I hear Tim Keller. I, I'm not going to preach like Tim Keller, right? But I know that there's there's nuances or stylistic things that I could pick up from him that are going to be helpful. So I just I wonder even how much you've felt that um, process of trying to sort through. I think I could try that, or yeah, I love what he's so, doing here, but that's not me. 
So I've been preaching for almost 20 years now. I started 20 years ago as a youth pastor, and we had a youth church, and that was my first opportunity to really preach, and then it moved into kind of the adult church. And for the first several years of preaching, um, I did take on people's personas and styles, and it didn't fit. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you're you're preaching God's word, and so some things are happening. But you're, tr- I, I was really just trying to learn who I was and how, how I was going to communicate the scriptures. And it wasn't until probably six or seven years in that I started to find my voice and how I was going to communicate. And then I could I could value and listen and be moved and inspired, and and God could use all these preachers and styles and methods. But that wasn't necessarily going to be the way I was going to do it. Um, and it took me a few years to get comfortable with that, honestly. Got to find your voice, really. Yeah, it took, it took, yeah. It took some time for me. Well, uh, we, we will wind down here, but for people who are interested in learning more about Church at the Well, what's the church website? And do you have any, do you have a, a blog or Twitter or anything like that where people can keep up with what's going on with you? Yeah, so, I mean, our church website is, is Well Church VT, as in Vermont. Um, also on Facebook and Twitter. My personal Twitter account is at very underscore Adam. Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah. <laughs> and Maybe. I usually, I, I primarily use that Twitter for, for um, songwriting and fantasy football. There's very mysterious <laughs> stuff on there. So <laughs> fair enough. I'm, I'm putting it up there anyway. So, uh, okay. Well, Adam, thanks so much. It's really, it's really good to talk with you. And as always, I'm just pleased with uh, hearing people's process and what different things come out about it. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me, John. Thank you for listening. As always, the notes, the books, links, anything that Adam talked about can be found at sermonsmith.com. You can find that for this interview or any prior interviews. We, I also have a running list of some of the books and some of the gear that different guests have talked about it. And you can see who has talked about what if you want to see how different people are using different tools, different ways. As always, uh, if you wouldn't mind, share this or any of your favorite interviews on Twitter, Facebook, that's always appreciated. And of course, reviews on iTunes are always, always, always welcome. Thanks so much, friends. Talk to you soon.